looks like for all of us. All of us are somewhere here in this chart. If you're in the far left, you don't know Christ yet. You're um, dead in your sins. That might be some of, some of us in this room who have not accepted Christ yet. But we're separated from God by the chasm. We know that chasm is only breached by the person of Christ, by the blood of Christ. Some of us in this room are at the first stage. We're spiritual infants. We just accepted Christ. We just know him as our Lord and Savior. And we're just beginning our journey. And then there's spiritual children. And you go into our life as we grow a little bit deeper. We become um, spiritual um, what do they call this here? They call it spiritual uh, adult. And then the spiritual adults become spiritual disciples. And there's a progression for every one of us in this room that we should be moving from left to right. No matter where we are, we should be somewhere on this chart. And I want to just remind you that to get from one stage to the next stage, to go from a spiritual infant to a spiritual child, it takes determination, it takes direction, it takes focus. We have to have a plan in mind. To go from a spiritual child to a spiritual parent, the same thing. There must be a plan in mind. There must be a focus. We have to be determined to move to the next one. The only thing I disagree about this chart is that they put the disciples all the way at the far right. That everyone reaches that stage should be discipling. Absolutely. But I'll tell you what. Even if you're a spiritual infant, there's someone on this chart that you could be helping. Who is it? Yeah, those that don't know Christ. Exactly. You could be doing that. If you're a spiritual child, who can be helping? The spiritual infants. If you're a spiritual parent, you could be helping all the way down, all the way down the line. So you don't have to wait to reach the far right to say that I can disciple someone else. Wherever God has put you, if you know the Lord, you can help. And you're called to be those disciples of Christ, no matter where we are on that chart. Okay, so... This letter was written from Paul to Timothy. Timothy lived in a city called Ephesus. Ephesus was a pretty loose city. The temple of Artemis was there. There was a cult worship. There was prostitution going on at the temple. There was a lot of hard things going on. And Timothy lived right in the middle of it. That city, we would probably think is similar. Similar to, let's see if we can get this to go here. There it is. Uh, Las Vegas. You think, you know, all the things that are happening in Las Vegas would probably be very similar to what is happening in Ephesus. So we have to think for a moment, if Paul is writing to Timothy and he's living in Las Vegas, what would you say to a young man living in Las Vegas? What kind of principles would you instill in someone who has to deal with all the attacks and all the worldliness and all the things that would distract you from being a disciple of Christ? So the first verse we read, I can't pass this up because it's in scripture, it's interesting, have nothing to do with worldly fables fit for only old women. So I can't tell you guys any fables that would be fit for old women. Scripture does not allow me to do that. But I thought this is a kind of interesting verse to think about because when Julie and I and our family went to um, San Francisco before we went to China, we stopped in at a very interesting museum. And the museum was called uh, Chinese Immigration History Center, something like that. And Julie found this picture of a cartoon, and she's thinking, Gordon, you have to get a picture of this. This is, this is my story. This is my life. And uh, i enlarge that picture for you. It's this cartoon here that came up. It was this woman, a mother, telling her daughter, don't tell anyone that your grandfather bought papers to come to America. And this whole museum had this documented about how many Chinese 
bought papers. This is illegal, by the way. Buying these papers, getting these documents to pretend that they're part of this family. Someone got legal citizenship, and then you could bring so many children over, your wife over, and you could buy those papers from these people that were legal citizens. And so many immigrants from China did this because, as you remember, from 18... 1890, is that right, to about 1940s, there's the Chinese Immigration Act that would not allow Chinese to immigrate into America. Only a very, very select few. So if you were going to come in, you had to buy these papers. And so he took pictures of this whole cartoon. There was like pages and pages of cartoon. And he said, this is my life. This is what I had to do. This is what my parents did. This is what my mom told me. This is, and they have, at the very end, I don't have a picture of it. They have these people getting on a plane and flying back to China to go back to their roots and find their village. And that is exactly what we were doing in our family. So this is not an old, worldly, fable tale for old woman. This is a young person's tale about our family. And it was very interesting for us as we were starting back to China what God had done to bring us here. And it actually brought Julie to tears when we were going through this museum. I'll share about that another time, about what people had to go through in order to get here to America. Okay, all right, so we're done with that verse, part of the verse. Let's go to the next part of the verse here. Where am I pointing here? On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. So if Paul was going to give Timothy some advice, he's saying, this is how I want you to live in Las Vegas. This is how you're going to make it through a very difficult time, a very difficult place. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. This is going to be our whole sermon this morning on this one verse. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Um, for the body discipline is helpful, but it's really this determined discipline that's going to make a difference in your life. So if we look at this verse here, when it talks about discipline yourself, the Greek word here is gymnazo, where we get the word gymnasium. If we're going to discipline ourselves, Paul's getting right to the heart of it. It's like you're going to the gym. It's like you're going to go work out. You're going to make yourself disciplined. And this caught me very interesting that there's so many interesting translations here that we don't use. Um, the Good News Testament, keep yourself training for a godly life. This is the message. This is an interesting one. Exercise daily in God. No spiritual flabbiness, please. Message always has an interesting translation. Every reading message is kind of interesting, right? Uh, our standard NIV here. Train yourself to be godly. Uh, the New Living Translation. Spend your time and energy in training yourself for spiritual fitness. Then the Phillips translation, take time and trouble. Take time and trouble. Go out of your way, time and trouble, to keep yourself spiritually fit. So there's an emphasis here on disciplining yourself, going to the gym, training for a godly life, preparing yourself to be spiritual. Paul is encouraging Timothy, you got to get disciplined. you got to get determined. God had set, set your mind on this. This is the way you're going to be strong. So I started thinking about why are we training ourselves to be godly? What is the purpose of this training? Why would we discipline ourselves? Why would we want to go through all this? I think one of the main reasons is that if we train ourselves over and over again, we become disciplined, we go through the habits of it, that'll become automatic. It'll become something habitual. It'll be that every single day you go through this process and become over and over again. It just becomes a trained response. A trained response. Now, I've gone through this with you before. A quarterback in the NFL 
has how many seconds before he throws the ball? You guys remember? From the time he gets it in his hand and time he throws, how much time? Almost. 2.5 seconds. 2.5 seconds, right? So 2.5 seconds, he's got to get rid of the ball. Three seconds, he's already sacked. Um, the really good guys, Ben's probably down to low twos, but Brady is actually under two seconds, like 1.8. And he never gets sacked, right? Because he gets rid of the ball. Because he has 1.8 seconds automatically trained. Throws the ball, throws the ball, throws the ball. Gets rid of it. It's automatic. Takes years of training. Takes tons of study of the playbook. But it becomes automatic. Just like for you guys, after every meal, I know you guys brush. It's automatic, right? <laughs> sermon after sermon about taking care of your teeth. I can't believe that anyone here doesn't have a toothbrush on them today. Because you guys are going to eat lunch, right? In a few hours, you guys are going to eat lunch. Today. Lunch is back on today. Every one of you should have your toothbrush in your Bible bag, in your jacket, in your purse. It should be automatic. It should be unacceptable that I'm going through the rest of my day not brushing. You can't let that lunch stay in your teeth all the way until tonight. Some of you leave it on all the way until tomorrow morning. And I think, wow, I don't want to talk about that. But it's automatic. It's habitual. It comes naturally. And many of you have gotten to that point now where you can't go through the day without reading God's Word. You think, you know what? I get up, I read God's Word, I memorize it, I meditate, I'm praying. That should be automatic. Something's wrong with your day if you're not spending that time in God's Word. Automatic. Automatic. It comes. It becomes part of your habits. It becomes part of your life. It's your day. It's just normal. When you're disciplining ourselves, we're training ourselves for godliness, it becomes automatic. It doesn't happen by accident. It's a process, automatic, time and time again. So what are we doing? And you can kind of see on your bulletin, Cal's probably confused by my outline. It's like, what are, what are all these things in our bulletin? Uh, these ideas that we're going to have body life at PCC, what are we doing here? We're also um, having fellowship. You guys shall be joining your YF, your ACF, your RISE, your adult cell groups. All of you should be part of a fellowship, reading scripture, evangelizing, meditating, memorizing God's word, praying every day. These are spiritual disciplines that you should be going through all the time. All the time. And, and it's interesting because I don't want you to think something wrong here. We're not doing these spiritual disciplines in order to gain acceptance from God. If you've already crossed that bridge and you know Christ, you're already accepted by God. You don't do these things to gain acceptance. You don't do these things to be loved more by God. Like, God will love me more if I give more money in the offering. If I come to church, God's going to love me more. God already loves you with his whole heart. He's not going to love you more by doing these things. You're not going to be more accepted. You're not going to somehow become um, a better person in God's sight by these things. That's already done by the blood of Christ. Don't forget that. We're not doing these things for acceptance. So why are we doing these things? Why do we do these spiritual disciplines? It's the one thing I told you at the beginning of today's message is to know Christ. The reason why we go through discipline after discipline, we meditate, we pray, we fast, we tithe, we sing praises, it's to know Christ. And this is what Philippians teaches us. Philippians teaches us that I may know him, that I may become more deeply and intimately acquainted with Christ, with him. When you become a disciple of Christ, we have one purpose in mind. The one purpose is to know Christ, to be like Christ, to imitate Christ, to know his life, to know his thoughts, to know how he would react in this situation. When you become a disciple of Christ, to know Christ. That's our main purpose here on this earth, to know Christ. To know Christ. Intimately um, 
acquainted with him. So if we know all these things, I'm sorry I don't have time to go through all the spiritual disciplines about prayer and meditation and memorizing scripture. But if we're doing those spiritual disciplines, I believe one thing that can come out of it is that we should be able to shape our life with something I'm going to call here the rule of life. If we get to practice the spiritual disciplines, it's not a laundry list that we just go through so we can check them all off. They should form something here I'm going to teach you called the rule of life. It should shape you. It should mold you. It should be a guiding principle in your life. The rule of life is a model, a pattern, an example, maybe a new pattern for our life. We think well, no matter what situation I'm in, no matter what temptation I'm facing, no matter what's happening in Las Vegas all the way around me, there should be one guiding principle that allows you to make the right decision at the right time to do the right thing. And I'm calling this, again, the rule of life. Is there something that we can focus and set our life upon that will give us clear direction as Christ's disciples that will always guide us and never be wrong? It's called the rule of life. Uh, the rule of life here is not about observing a set of rules in order to make ourselves good and acceptable before God. That will be legalism. I want you to be very clear about this. We're not doing these things for acceptance. We're not legalists. We're not trying to get up the ladder and look how good I am. This is not the purpose of a rule of life. I'm not trying to add something on to make you more accepted. That's not what we're doing here. The rule of life maintains a basic orientation of our lives as Christians. So it's going to set a pattern for us. It's going to set a model for us, and we can always turn to it. I call it a moral compass of your heart. If there's something so deep in your heart that you think, oh, what do I do? You go back to your moral compass. There's something guiding you, leading you, always telling you, this is what you're going to do. Go back to this rule of life. Um, so if we're training ourselves to be godly here, what are the benefits of a rule of life? If we practice a rule of life, it will release you from the control of the shifting circumstances of the day. All of us are too busy. All of us are doing too much. All of us are not getting enough sleep. All of us are getting pushed around. How is it that we have time for devotions? How is the time we have time to help others, to evangelize, to go visit the YFers, to cook for the Ronald McDonald's? How, we have so many things to do. How is it that we can find during these busy parts of our day when we're getting pushed around? I want you to go back to this rule of life. If we have a rule of life, it should inhibit our impulses, our wills and our wills. I don't feel like doing it. I don't want to do that today. If you have a guiding principle, it should overrule your emotions, the things that are tugging at you. If you have this rule of life, it should build character and allow you to form spiritual habits that time and time again, whether you're with us or I'm thinking about the guys who are graduating, going away to school, you have this moral compass again that will allow you to make good decisions even if you're at school, away from us. And for all of us, it prevents precious waste of time during the day. Wow, where'd those two hours go? Where'd those three hours go? If you have a moral compass and you have this rule of life guiding you back, you'll be able to think whether it fits in your day or not. Is this something Christ would do? Is this a good use of my time? So I want to go back here to the chart for a moment. And that the way that we're going to progress from a spiritual infant to a child to a parent to a, a true discipler 
is by the rule of life. You practice the rule of life. And at every stage, when I, when I, I thought of my own life from a spiritual infant to a child, as I've grown, my rule of life has changed a little bit. The things I used to do as an infant, I don't do so much as a child. As a child, I don't do so much as a parent. And this rule of life kind of changes as my walk with Christ deepens. There's different ways I handle situations now. There are different things that are, are guiding me. Okay, so you guys are wondering, okay, Gordon, if I'm going to go on this rule of life, you haven't even told us what it is yet. How do we make a rule of life? What is this thing? And did Christ have one? I think that's the biggest question here. Did Christ have a rule of life? Did Christ have a moral compass in his heart that guided him every single decision that he made? You know, Christ has all these people in front of him. He's feeding five thousand. How does Christ make that decision? What is he going to do, whether he heals this person or yells at this person for being a Pharisee? How did Christ know to do the right thing at the right time? How did Christ have a rule of life? Anyone know? Christ have a rule of life? Anyone think what Christ's rule of life is? Christ's rule of life, as much as I can tell, WWJD, this is what Christ did, he laid it out for us in Matthew. Let's see here. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. One of the first things we do here every Sunday, we put God in his place. We sing to him. He is our Lord. He is our King. He's the one in heaven. He's far above us. He deserves our praise. Every day with Christ would start out remembering that God is God. We are not God. He is God. He goes on. Your kingdom come. Not so much about myself. Not so much about what I want. Not so much about my desires and what I'm going to get done today. Christ. Christ's kingdom. Christ and what God is doing. And he says it even more clearly. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. We're always thinking first. God's going to take care of me. I don't have to worry about me. I put God first. His kingdom first. And then my things are taken care of. What's he asked for next? Yes, there are things we need done to this day. My daily bread. I need that. I need to get through today. But it's not tomorrow. It's not next week. It's not 10 years from now. It's today. Christ is always thinking, what do I need to do today? Our daily bread. We're debtors. We owe Christ so much. Remember our position. We owe Christ. He is the one who's forgiven us. He's the one that laid down his life. He's the one that shed his blood. Let's get that straight in our mind. Every day we remember that. That he's the one that wiped out as far as the east is from the west. As far as the deepest sea. Christ is the one who's done that. Every day we're living in Las Vegas, right? Um, Lead us not in temptation. Deliver us from evil. It's all around us. It's in the world. It's in our own hearts. We have that sinful nature still. It's a Satan. He's out there. We fight that every day. We realize it's out there every day. Lead us not in temptation. And then he closes. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's Christ's rule of life. How are we supposed to approach every day? We're always thinking about God. God's kingdom first. Less about ourselves. But then we do think of ourselves, the temptations we're in, the daily bread that we need. It's fine. Think about those things. We get in perspective of who Christ is, what God's kingdom is. So you see, Christ's rule of life, he modeled for us in everything that he did, everything that he said. Every person he ran into follows somewhere into this prayer. And so our job today is to determine our rule of life. And as I told you, it'd be strange for all of us to have the same one because all of us are at different stages 
in our, our life with Christ. All of us have a different relationship maturity level, which is fine. There's no problem with that. But if you look at your bulletins for a moment, there's not everything, but there's some things here that I put down here to help you determine your rule of life. Uh, some people are ready to do meditation, self-examination, Thanksgiving, like our praise, intercession, fasting, family prayer, personal retreat, small group. If we think about all these things, which ones are you going to incorporate into your life to help you determine your relationship to Christ? Remember, being a disciple, being a, a discipler, a disciple is your relationship with Christ. I want you to, don't forget that. I don't want to make it too complicated here. All these things, oh, I have to meditate, I have to spiritual read, I have to Bible study, I have to tithe, I have to, yeah, you have to do all those things, but the, don't forget, the reason we have personal devotion is not to make our checklist, it's not to be legalist, it's to get us in our relationship back to Christ. Which one on those lists are you going to practice in order to sustain and grow your relationship with Christ? I doubt if, I, I can't, I can't circle every one of those, the, the, there are too many for me, but there's a few on here that I do that help me facilitate my relationship with Christ. So think about that for a minute. And then I started today's message today with all the service that you guys are doing. All of you are serving different ways. It's wonderful. I'm glad to see it. We can't do everything. Christ didn't do everything. Christ chose very strategically to serve certain people at certain times. Whether it's your family, your church, your community, the world, all of us should be serving somewhere, though. We shouldn't just be thinking inwardly about Christ's kingdom and God's kingdom, all of us should be serving. So take a minute here and just look at this. Uh, I was normally going to do this during White Harvest, and I realized, you know what, we don't have White Harvest Day. This, this should take a whole hour, maybe a whole week to, to facilitate, but just take a few moments now and think about how it is that you would form the moral compass of your heart. What are the things that you want to do in order to facilitate your relationship with Christ? Look on your sheet. You might add some there that I don't have, and you think... This is going to be my rule of life. My rule of life is I'm going to do these things. I'm going to facilitate my life with Christ, my relationship with Christ. And that's going to guide me every single day, every single week, every single year. These are things I'm going to incorporate in. And I'm telling you, it's interesting. Over time, my suspicion, it'll kind of change. Like, oh, I need to meditate more. I need to memorize scripture more. I need to do more outreach. And it'll change over time, which is fine. You're at the stage where you're at right now, where God put you. I hope you don't stay there. I hope you continue to up that chart and you continue to move as disciples of Christ closer to what Christ wants for you. Bless you. Bless you. So just take a few moments uh, and think and pray about what you see on here and what God wants you to do, what Christ is calling you to do in your rule of life.
This is a process I hope you continue to wrestle with. I'm just going to say it one more time. Prayer, meditation, uh, your, t- your time before the Lord is not to make you more tranquil. It's not to make you more peaceful. There's many religions that could do that. We're not in those religions to make us peaceful people. These disciplines, these exercises are to bring us to the person of Christ. It's very different. Uh, many religions just want to give you peace and calm. That's not what we're after necessarily. We're after a relationship with Christ. And in the coming weeks, we're going to build on this. But this is the foundation, I feel. You have to have a relationship with Christ. We're going to talk about discipleship. We're going to talk about being disciplers. This is the foundation. You yourself have to have that relationship with Christ that is unshakable, that guides you through the thick and the thin, good times and bad times. This moral compass that you'll take wherever you go and it'll guide you wherever the Lord puts you. So I hope this week, I hope starting tomorrow, that you'll find a way to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Okay, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for each and every person in this room. All those in this room that know you and have a relationship with you, that have been called by name, that you have a relationship with them, these children that you love. May they, Father, find that they need to model their lives after Christ. No matter what stage they're at, what stage I'm at, I pray that I'm always looking to Christ, always spending time with Him. There's prayer, memorizing Your Word, fellowshipping with each other, serving each other. Wherever we're at, Father, I pray that we find guidance and the principles You've given us through Christ's life, through the person of Christ that will guide us. May the men and women in this room find a moral compass that will guide them through every decision, through every stage of life, whether it's spiritual infants or spiritually mature. May they find that you're the God that will never leave them or forsake them. Thank you for the model of Christ. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, ask our worship team to lead us. You may all rise. We have heard, we have heard your voice today, your word fans Send us out in the fullness.
Jesus of your power, for your kingdom and your crown, will you go with us? Lead us now, lead us now from Fill us up and send us out in the fullness of your power. For your kingdom and your crown, will you go with us? As we hear, as we hear your spirit call, take us out.
Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that your words would not fall on deaf ears or hardened hearts, Lord, but that we would be filled with your spirit, filled with your word, filled with the love that you shared with us, that you gave us, and that we would go not only live radical lives in our own walk with you, but also live radically to share your love with those around us, whether those who know you or those who don't know you yet. So Father, we thank you again, and we pray this all in Jesus Christ's holy and precious name. Amen. You may all be seated. again, thank you, the worship team, for leading us. It really puts us in a correct frame of mind as we get ready for communion. Our focus has been on Christ all morning, and now we really have a chance to spend time in Christ's presence to not only remind ourselves what Christ has done, but what Christ continues to do presently. And we're also looking to a future tense of what we're going to see. This is a foretaste of what is to come. So as we come before the table, we're thinking of what Christ has done, how we relate to him right now, how our rule of life will change our relationship with him. And we're looking forward to all the promises, all the things that we're going to see in his presence. So prepare yourself now as we think about uh, our time of communion. And, and just to remind you, if you know Christ as your Savior and you've been baptized, we encourage you to join us. If you haven't um, accepted Christ or not been baptized yet, we ask you to refrain. Okay, so one of the ways to remind us of what Christ has done is that we read together uh, the Apostles' Creed. If we can bring that up, let's stand together and read what Christ has done for us. Okay, let's read together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, sorry, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. May be seated. I hope what Christ has done resonates in your hearts and your minds. All that he went through. All that he's done for us. That he suffered in our place. That the penalty of sin, the consequences of sin, Christ took for each one of us that knows him. Okay. I ask the communion servers to come forward. your minds as you hold the bread I ask you to hold it and we'll all eat it together at the same time 
body that was broken for you. And Christ willingly put his own will, his own desires aside in order that we could benefit, that we could be called his children. that resurrected for us is Christ who now lives for us He sits at the right hand of the Father reminding us that soon we'll be in the same place with Him remember all that He's done for us As we come to Christ, He offers us forgiveness and grace. As we turn from ourselves and we look to our person of Christ, may our focus and our hearts and our minds be completely centered upon Christ and what he's done. The night the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember Christ together and eat. as you hold uh, remembrance of Christ's blood in your hands remember the power that's in this blood the power to forgive sins the power to cleanse us and make us whole again whatever sins you're dealing with today whatever is shameful whatever you don't want exposed Christ says give it to me I cover over every one of our sins every one of those things that we don't even want to mention that his blood covers it all his blood is so powerful that there's nothing we've done nothing we are doing or nothing we will do that will ever separate us
new relationship. One that will spread from now until eternity. We can be sure that we're going to be in Christ's presence because of his blood that was shed for us. precious what you hold in your hand. It cost us, our Savior his life. Done once and for all. Let's remember in the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat of this bread and drink of this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's remember Christ and drink together. Father, we are thankful for the blood and the body broken for each one of us. May our lives and our minds and our bodies be renewed. Thank you for the restoration process, the recreation process going on even now. We long for this, to be men and women recreated in the image of Christ. May we continue this process until we see you again. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, so um, as has been said today, we have a lot going on today. Just want to remind you before we close our service, we'd like you to go downstairs to see the baptism. We're going to go uh, actually right after we close service. I hope Rebecca has already gone down. She should be ahead of us uh, getting ready to go and get changed. Mr. Wu, who does so many of the things around our church, will also be baptized today. And something very special, after the baptisms, we're going to have the Lummi sharing team. I don't know which groups are going to be sharing, but we'll hear from the Lummi team sharing about their work uh, that they did last month. And then uh, Rebecca will share her testimony. So after that, we'll have lunch. So our lunch is back in place. We'll have lunch uh, today. Afterwards, hope you can stay for all those things. And after lunch, who's cleaning up today? Yes, us. I like it. Us. We are all together. We're one body. We all do it together. Okay, let's stand together and sing doxology. And close service here. Okay. Okay, okay. All right, let's, let's uh, sing doxology. us to purify our hearts to be as gold precious silver pure gold the only way that can happen 